now on the History Channel, we return to the horrors of communism. Colonel, could you maybe tell us a little more about your time in the East German security apparatus? Yeah, well, there was much demand for patriots who were prepared to work for the state. At the time, I was studying at the Technical University, and I was approached by someone from the Interior Ministry. And he asked me if I was a patriot, and I said, yeah. And he said, are you Volk? And I said, yes, Queen. A few months later, I was a member of the Volk Stasi. The Woke Stasi? Yeah, 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 the Zvokstasi. When the communist government first came to power, they immediately introduced five new genders. By the time 10 years had gone by, they introduced 15 more, and they needed a new breed of agents to enforce the rules. What sort of rules were there? Ah, for most people it was okay. Local party officials would tell them that they had to have blue hair or wear dungarees, but for some it was harder. They resisted. I found myself going to a factory to confront a man there. He said to me, I am married with children. Why must I identify as nine wolves, each more gay than the last? And I said to him, this is Marxism. So, was this about the time that you started to become disillusioned with your work? Nine, nine. This took a long time. The first 10, 15 years, it was all routine. Inspecting workplaces to make sure they were run by a girl boss. Checking that guys were not being dudes. Preventing people from saying that they were English. This was okay, people understood, but the job changed forever on December 31st, 1983. So what happened then? That was the day they made racism illegal. And I suppose that made your job more difficult. More difficult? Yeah, it was impossible after this. At one point in 1985, we had a task force of 10,000 men breaking into people's homes and tearing the little gollywogs off of the jam. Everyone's favorite jokes about Slavic brain pans had been banned. In the street in East Berlin, we had a huge bonfire of every phrenology caliper we could find. People were furious. By 1986, people were saying, this is 1984. In 89, the wall came down after it was charged by over a thousand men who had been forced to be gay since 1962. Unbelievable. Truly, this is political correctness gone mad. Ja, hallo, das ist die neue Episode von Trash Future. Wir sind heute nur auf Deutsch sprechen, doch es wird eine ganz kurze Episode sein, weil we can't fucking speak German anymore. Yeah. No, <laughs> you just true. said, ich habe geklappt, machen before. <laughs> ja, ich habe geklappt. <laughs> I mean, let's be perfectly honest, Germans will do that shit. They'll just be speaking, like, I, I told the story to Milo before. I was in Germany, and I remember hearing this girl talking to her friend in a cafe, and she's like, ja, gestern habe ich ein echtes Brainstorming getan. And I was just like, Surely there's another word you can say that's German that's not brainstorming. But this uh, probably it's, takes, it's, like, yeah, it, it probably takes 10 minutes to say. Also, probably <laughs> has some very bad connotations. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah fair. Yeah. Uh, hello, hello, everyone. Welcome to Trash Future, the podcast where we speak German, apparently. but Or maybe we mm. don't. Uh, different, uh, slightly different personnel lineup today. Uh, it's me, Riley, from TF Acres in uh, the Caliphate of Tower Hamlets. I'm also joined by Milo in an undisclosed location. Hello, it's me. Uh, uh, feelings? I'm not having them. No. Uh, ladies, uh, he's <laughs> emotionally um, having it's a malopinous. <laughs> if you want to get a dose of malopinous, uh, you know who to be at. Damen und Herren, brauchen Sie malopinous? Wir haben so ganz so... 
I can't. <laughs> I can't believe that I ruined. I busted my melopinous nut on all of my yeah. good melopinous jokes before we yeah. started recording. Yeah, if, if there are any Frauleins listening to this episode <laughs> of the podcast, <laughs> and you want to bust a melopinous nut. <laughs> what the fuck is your accent? <laughs> every, ta- every time <laughs> you criticize him, it goes south and east. <laughs> People end up Spanish at this rate. This yeah, is like Rocco Sifredi. <laughs> your guns like Milopinus. <laughs> no, guys, I think you're being unfair. Riley is speaking with an accurate accent for uh, German colonists in Belize. I don't know why he has that particular accent, but he does have it. I think my hmm. my accent is like I, th- I think my accent is is sort of like Bond villain German. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, that though this is this is you know this is just this is just how I talk, you know. You, you just um, you just it's valid to say that you're going to fire the laser. I lost <laughs> I lost my monopolish in the sh- in the smelting accident. I lost gold. <laughs> <laughs> all right hey, all right everybody let's you know let's let's take let's take a breath and stop stop this ludicrousness uh you know it's it's tf it's it's me riley um milo is uh single and ready to reflect on uh how he's yeah. doing uh, ready not to ready not to mingle because that's no. illegal do not not ready to mingle do not uh, mingle with me <laughs> <laughs> no matter how much, no matter how much you want that sweet melopinus, do not mingle with Milo. Ming- mingles are forbidden, Christian or otherwise. <laughs> um, I also am joined uh, by Alice in an undisclosed location. Yes, feeling fine. Love to not disclose my location or other certain things. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. not disclosing how much. Not disclosing how. Just what? Not, not disclosing volume. the presence of my melopinus on a date. <laughs> not disclosing the cubic volume of melopinus. Uh, <laughs> yeah. a, a guy and, who's already a dude getting getting bottom surgery to get a melopinus specifically. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like no, give me the big Milo dick. Yeah, and uh, also we are up. Uh, we have producer Nate is on the call today. Nate, how's it going? This didn't used to be an unusual occurrence, but yes, uh, I I went full hermit mode for a while, but I'm back. I'm here in an undisclosed location south of the river, doing well. Thank you for having me back on. Since apparently we will not say returning trash future champion, a a a hundredth time return guest. Here it, and he's here to talk about Melopinus <laughs> sweeping the nation. Um, no, uh, we are going to talk about a few things today. We're going to talk a little bit more about uh, our friend Greensill, uh, the actual pawn villain who doesn't talk in a mm. German accent. Oh, um, charging me fucking laser. <laughs> no, Mr. Bond, I expect you to fuck off. <laughs> and uh, we're going to talk about a bit of fraud. We're going to talk about a new kind of Tory guy who I think has ascended into the canon. And then we're going to read a very delightful article, just one I'm extremely excited about. Um, Love to so read stuff. Without, um, uh, without further ado, let's talk Greensill, because Lex mm. Greensill, just a simple country money farmer. Uh, he's back. Uh, he is, if you don't know what this is, listen to the previous Unlocked episode. Yeah, we unlocked uh, it for the sake of this. Yes, yeah. Frankenstein's balance sheet. Um, so go listen to that so you can understand uh, what they yeah. are. Go ahead and do that now. We'll yeah. wait. 
Yeah. You're actually you're actually thinking of Frankenstein's monsters balance sheet. The professor was called Frankenstein. <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah, we'll we'll wait and we will continue to crack ourselves up by saying the word malapanus. <laughs> yes. Um no, so we uh we want to say Greensill. Uh Greensill, so if you remember the um company that SoftBank used to like pump a bunch of money through a bunch of other SoftBank companies to make them look profitable, allegedly. Um they, I, I'm, this is a quote from uh, a press release from them. Greensill, the leading provider of working capital finance for business and people globally, is pleased to announce that it has, so both businesses and people, the two kinds of things, mm. uh, are pleased two to genus. announce that, that it has, thank you, Milo, uh, <laughs> that it has been approved by the British Business Bank as a new accredited lender to provide invoice finance through the coronavirus large business interruption loan scheme. So... Yes, Lex mm. Greensill's money press is going to run the fucking coronavirus bailout. I yeah. see no problems here. You know that um, that that company that's been behind a lot of high-profile collapses because its financing methodology conceals debt and disguises it as operating expenses, so companies can be like piloted like ants being taken over by a fungus uh he's in mm. charge of helping to save the uh, he's one of the banks or uh, non-banks fintechs that's in charge of helping to save the economy from the pandemic so i think we can all breathe a little bit easier assured that you know doom is coming and it is coming in the form of his big dumb smiling face yeah, I'm enjoying absolutely. this closer cooperation with our Australian cousins that we're having. You know, we're not only getting on its Tim Tams, but we're also just throwing the economy in the back of the Ute and seeing what happens. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and the other funny thing is that Lex Greensill, um, like, because the 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 circular financing ag- arrangement that we talked about last month is now being reported by the FT, uh, but uh, most of a uh, Greensill's discussion in the media still seems to be. Um, his participation in getting uh, working capital to banks through his, again, you know, tech company that's an email address and a way to work around um, lending regulations. And also the fact that he has opened some kind of large nature park in Cheshire. Ah, to, got, um, to hunt the well, most dangerous game. I've got to say, <laughs> Riley. It makes me laugh to think that if the FT is reporting on our reporting on this, this phenomenon, that means Lex Greensill himself, with his Bond villain-ass name, has probably found out about it and is banging his metal glove fist against his table, only shot from behind like the villain in fucking Inspector Gadget. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get you, podcasters! Um, no, I, I think, no, Mr. I, Bond, I, I expect you to enjoy the lemur exhibit. Why is James Bond being threatened by Sean Connery? It's <laughs> <laughs> kind of an identity crisis. Anyway, hello yeah. to the army of uh, of Greensill corporate lawyers who are listening to this and going, "What the fuck is a melopinus?" <laughs> <laughs> Welcome. Uh, no, it's so a thing that we decided to call Milo's penis. Where is uh, your husband this evening? Could he be looking at a melopinus? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So basically, uh, yeah. He uh, no. I also number one. I I th- I'm like it, all that was in the Credit Suisse marketing documents. So I I think they probably came across it um, uh, independently. I'm willing to bet that they did. But nevertheless, uh, you know, if they did come across it through us, that's also fun. But I'm pretty sure they would have come across it independently. Nevertheless, I want to talk about this nature park because uh, the the Chester Times, which is where he lives, says a wealthy Chester resident has plans to create a natural sanctuary in his backyard 
to address growing threats of wildlife decline and climate change. It's a bit much to call it a backyard if you can fit a fucking wildlife preserve in it. Also, it's yeah. just like, yeah, I'm uh, don't worry, I'm I'm planning a new lawn and some trees to address climate change. <laughs> we said that seventy-one percent of the emissions were so were caused by just one hundred companies. This isn't what we meant. Yeah, no, this is this is cool. Um, I I I look forward to absolutely nothing weird going on in relation to this or about this. Yeah. Um, nope. I look forward to this being incredibly regular and definitely not the subject of you know any kind any kind of documentary at a later date. <laughs> I I am sure that there absolutely will not be any alligators in this garden to whom, you know, people will end up being fed by former intelligence professionals who are absolutely. on the payroll of wealthy business people. I don't think that will ever happen. Listen, no. it, 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 it... There's plenty of reasons why you might take delivery of a consignment of tranquilizer rifles um, <laughs> that, that, that are perfectly legitimate and above board. It would be slanderous of us to suggest that Lex Greensill actually did have genetically modified sharks in the ponds in this um, public sanctuary that he fed uh, local councillors to from Chester who didn't approve him to put his uh, giant death laser in the main square of the town. It would be slanderous to suggest that. It would. Death laser yes. is really a misnomer. It's mostly for eye surgery. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a dual-use oh. technology most of the yeah. time. I mean, to be honest, if you're looking at insane billionaire delusions of grandeur, the idea of someone building a laser to perform LASIK surgery on God himself it's definitely in the remit of being a weird Australian finance lord. So <laughs> I, for one, think it's all possible. Just like one of those NRA guys being like, this is an insult to responsible death laser owners. <laughs> so I've, got, I've got some more details on this. Uh, a slideshow presentation includes a map labeled with a water course restoration. Again, it would be slanderous to say there are genetically modified predators in that water course. And woodland creation, which also it would not be true. And I would suggest no one says that any 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 one of the most dangerous game is going to be hunted in this woodland creation. No, and there's no evidence to suggest that. No, there is there is absolutely nothing that would lead you to believe that Lex Greensill is attempting to recreate Turok as part of a deranged <laughs> attempt. To I was like... going to say that his he's just he's just personal friends with Rutger Howard. There is not a remake <laughs> of Surviving the Game being shot in real life. I'd love to be personal friends with yeah. Rutger Howard, but um, no. There's no evidence of a consignment of Mad Max style buggies being shipped to this place that are all covered in armor plating. It's also got an edible ecosystem following a public right-of-way, community orchard, grassland restoration, and a path designed for all abilities and several viewpoints. And that's all! Hmm. <laughs> yeah, sure. Does it have any temples? I'm, I'm sure the edible ecosystem also is not going to involve, like, you know, ironic punishments for people who cross him. No, and I mean, no. like, the, the reason why there is a, like, mosque-like building on there with just, like, a piano in it and a dome is, you know, normal. Yeah, it's the piano mosque. It's, it's the Billy Joel song, the piano mosque. this room with, uh, with the manacles and then a saw that's chained to the wall and then a scale that's connected to the locking mechanism that opens the door? That's an art installation. I, I just literally was, all, all I could think of was, play us a song, you're the piano mosque. Play us a song, <laughs> it's haram. Dude's uh, asking me if I've been to a piano mosque yet. <laughs> uh, the wording under the subheading Our Vision reads to create a natural sanctuary for Shotwick Park to address the growing threats of wildlife decline and climate change. 
The project will offer a wide range of community benefits, including access, education, and a place of research, a local scheme for a global and issue. Exercise. <laughs> <laughs> Enterta- entertainments. Yeah. High intensity interval training. <laughs> Where nothing can possibly go wrong. Yeah, so uh, Lex Greensill's building a Jurassic Park where uh, passersby can look at the magnificent Melopinus rise up above the trees. (laughs) (laughs) That is actually, I always hum that when I get my dick out. (laughs) (laughs) Clever girl. Got a lot of looks at the urinals. Okay, well, to the three people who are still listening. (laughs) Um... Now, I, I want to, in the vein of Greensill, um, I wanted to talk about another SoftBank uh, invested company. Hmm. Right. We are still, we do not stop talking about SoftBank. Um, no. You know, I Our think third this is eye still, remains firmly open. I think this is, this is still like, we are still sort of coasting on the last round of SoftBank madness, which is going to keep unfolding for a while. Hmm. But I don't think they're, I think they're. they're you want to queue up the next now. one. Yeah, I want to know what's going to be the next SoftBank still, but you know, we, we still have some SoftBank madness to go. Mm-hmm. So this company is called Wirecard. And uh, again, this is another company where due to some things that we'll talk about later, I want to emphasize that we're all happy, healthy, and doing well. Yeah, none of us yeah. are having any dark thoughts at any time. Yeah, um, yeah. We're, we're so all checking under our cars with yeah. a mirror on a stick every morning. Yeah. I'm checking under every car, not even my cars. I'm, yeah, just, you know, I'm, 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 I'm like, um, I've purchased I'm, I'm, one of the finest British dowsing rods, and I've been using it to look for IEDs, and not a single one has popped up. Yeah, I'm, I'm checking, mm. I'm checking under the cars like I'm Christopher Chope. Um, yeah, I'm just, I'm having my new roommate Nicholas Tartaglioni keep a lookout for anyone who might <laughs> be hunting me. Uh, you know, so basically, Wirecard is a German fintech darling. Uh, it's an older company. It was started in 1999, and effectively, without going into too much detail, it is a pay- it is ba- an online payments processor, which means it engages in issuing and acquiring. So it is the technological infrastructure, if you like, the pipeline of information, and also crucially, security provider for e-commerce. Yeah. So you, so- you buy your package of sex dildos, or at least I do. And the, the, what the other sex- kind of dildos are there? Yeah, uh, d- Decorative, yeah, exactly. Uh, entertainment, medical, yeah. yeah. Um, so animal, I, I, I buy my shipments of sex dildos. The sex dildo salesman does not get my credit card information. No. So this is due to a set of regulations called PCI DSS, which is about payment card information, digital security standard. So what that means is when you pay for something. You will sex usually, dildos. yeah. When you pay for sex dildos, you'll use you'll put your pay your card information into like a little widget on the merchant site. The merchant never actually sees it; they don't want to see it, they don't want to know it. And then there are specialist companies that have relationships with banks, so they'll they'll basically exist to transfer the money from one bank to another and hold and use your payment card information and keep that all secure and so on and so on. And so this is this is basically yeah a payment gateway. A payment processor, and that's what Wirecard is. It's one of the biggest ones, and it knocked Commerce Bank off the DAX 30, which is like the biggest um, stock exchange in uh, in Germany. So it's like a very established company. And the hope in Germany was that it would be the next SAP, which was the big German tech company of like the previous generation of tech companies. And so yeah, Wirecard's whole business model is that they host their payment. They host a payment. They'll they can do the payment processing for you. A lot of times it'll be white labeled and they'll complete the, and process the payment for a small fee that they'll charge to either the merchant or the bank or what have you. Now, 
what's um and that's so their actual business you know is fine it's not, neither here nor there the, the business itself it's not like green cell where you're like hold on hold on hold on this is incredibly complex and weird and nothing good this is quite normal um so what and also the other thing before i go into this further is you should know that the way that they operate around the world is sometimes in uh, especially in countries like say uh like in china or um through like the gulf is they will have a relationship with a third party uh, who will then complete all of their introductions for them. So you can sort of build this pipe in a lot of different ways. And the third parties are where a lot of the interesting story is of this, let's say, interesting company. Mm. Mm. <clears throat> so uh, it was founded in 1999 by the world's most German man, Marcus Brown. Dr. Dr. Marcus Marcus Brown. Brown. Dr. Marcus mm. Brown. Dr. 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 Brown. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and so Dr. Malopinus Brown basically had this, you know, he had, he had this idea, he developed this company, and it has been a, a market leader for quite a long time. Uh, yeah. It's expanded around the world and to the point where 58% of its revenues can sometimes come from like Middle East card services, which is its uh, uh, Middle East third yeah, party. But like more importantly, Dr. Marcus Brown, he sounds like this. We're facing some negative media coverage due to a set of allegations that are all known and are addressed. We think we can resolve these allegations uh, quite quickly. And anyway, he resigned uh, like a couple of days ago. <laughs> hey, hey, the allegations, I guess, are resolved. Yeah, <laughs> when everything is fine. So what's, what's going on? What are these allegations? Well, over the last couple of years, the FT has been publishing internal documents that have been indicated that sales and profits at Wirecard, uh, especially these third-party units, international units, may have been uh, invented. Fake. Completely thin air. Huh. Just poof. Oh, no. Nice. Here's money. Oopsie. Hmm. Oopsie, we, we, we made the profits entirely ephemeral. <laughs> ich bin... Ich bin einen Oopsie ge gemacht. <laughs> and what I find very interesting about this is the um, the fraud is alleged to amount to about two billion euros, mm -hmm. um, and so not a not not an inconsiderable amount of money. Um, no, they give you a bit more than community service for that, I think. <laughs> but uh, also, um, not like systemic risk amount of money. So we're going to go through why this is important as we go through what's happened. So. Basically, F the whistleblowers have been leaking documents to the FT and the German regulator since for the last couple of years, but there have been sort of allegations for the last several. Um, the company has always responded, and this is what I think is very funny, uh, with basically a Trump strategy, which is like, uh, which, which, is, which is saying the, the FT, both, they, they used fake documents to make these allegations because they're in the pocket of like short sellers like Crisp and O'Day. And anyway, they misinterpreted the fake documents also. Very unfair to me. Very unfair. Yeah. Uh, oh God, this is, this is conjuring German Trump, which I don't yeah. like at well, all. We'll, we'll think, we'll <laughs> the think. The documents, folks, they're fake. <laughs> um, Milo, they're not real. Like they're sad documents. They're unfair. What, what I like, very, very traurig. Like is, so traurig. What I really enjoy, number one, Milo, is that your German Trump sounds like a sort of hundred-year-old ghost. Uh, <laughs> are you really yes, commenting like real on someone's German accent, considering our previous revelations about your Belizean German? 
<laughs> I'm not saying I'm perfect. I'm just saying Milo's doing an impression of an ancient child. You have child to understand ghost. it was a very long time in South America. We had to maintain the language <laughs> even in the face of inferior speech. Mm. We, had to, we, we had to keep sounding weird. Sissy so, Grayson um, Carter's Oscar party no longer hot. <laughs> no longer hot. Right. No, so, um, absolutely not high. So, so, um, basically, what I also really like that they were saying, oh, the files you're looking at are fake and you're misinterpreting them. <laughs> cool. Yeah. 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 You're fake, you're and, fake gay. And, and Yeah, it's fake and also you're wrong about them. Um, which is, I, yay, you're brass balls. Um, so what they did was they um they hired KPMG to conduct an independent audit of their books, saying that an audit would vindicate all of its accounting and that, no, all of this money wasn't just invented out of nothing. Uh, and then it said, you know what, our investors, uh, if the probe finds anything, we're going to have to we're going to absolutely tell you what it finds. Um, and then uh, they said that that there is not any reason to have even the faintest doubt over the account. Sorry, this is Mr. Brown. Yeah, Mr. Brown. Uh, he says, says Brown. that the allegations will be resolved very quickly. <laughs> this is really cool. Again, this report like comes back and is like, pretty sure you invented two billion euros. And he's like, this is a big step forward. And uh, they didn't find any incriminating evidence for the public allegations of balance sheet forgery. And then, um, and then resigned crazy. immediately. Just, yeah, immediately resigned. Which is the thing you go. always do when yeah. the allegations are unfounded. Yeah. Well, he went. He went to resign because he was apparently he was going to become a game warden in a nature park in the north of England somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so basically, what happened is, yeah, they this company sort of allegedly invented two billion euros, approximately, of revenue for itself. Um, it's not clear exactly what this was for. I'm I'm not clear if this was being like then like misappropriated or if it was used to like prop up a company that wasn't selling much. I think that's going to come out eventually. We don't know now. But the reason we know, the reason we know that it's a crime, allegedly, if they did this, is that they did it themselves instead of asking Lex Greensill, because the only people who are allowed to just make up money is the government and then this guy. Yeah. We just decided yeah. this Australian money farmer can do this. So you, if you want to just invent profit from whole cloth for your company, you can't just do it. You have to sign up to Greensill, and then you can do it. Yeah, and they didn't do that, which is weird. Yeah. They just like decided oh, we don't we don't need this like extra step. We'll just like allegedly uh, parody in a video game Minecraft, uh, invent two billion euros worth of revenue. Yeah, that's German exactly. efficiency, baby. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, we should be thanking them. I mean, if they invented two billion euros, that means no one could have two billion euros before that. So that's pretty. That's cool. right. You had to stop at one billion nine hundred ninety nine million nine hundred ninety nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine and ninety nine cents. Yeah. They paid a guy like, to count well, that high, and then they were like, "Yeah, what comes next?" And he was like, "I, I don't know." <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah, that's uh, that that's so that's that's the situation, right? They allegedly invented this through a third party. Um, and KPMG said, actually, no, we weren't able to obtain nearly enough information in our six-month audit to address any of these issues. And now I believe at the time of recording, the shares are trading at uh, 20% of their high. Hmm. Uh, I'm is find that exactly good? What that is. Um, well, 18 major banks. Uh, they're still, it's still 25 euros a share. If you'd uh, like to open your Trash Future uh, trading platform now, uh, um, <laughs> I guide you through our market tips. <laughs> I'm just going on to, on to Bloomberg. I want to see what its high was in the last um, 
just like clicking through all of the Bloomberg classifieds that you've been re- responding yeah. to. <laughs> yeah, why? Well, yes, I would like to buy a Maserati that's only had one corpse in it. Uh, so it is <laughs> its high was 159 euros, but the fact that it's still trading at 24 euros after it's been implicated in a gigantic, huge fraud scandal—the fraud scandal like of this recession—is mm. um, it says something to me about the extent to which that um, the stock market has just completely decoupled from the real economy. Um, I just, it's just, there's just, there is no relationship between these two things anymore. Um, because this is, and you can see it, the fact that, um, you know, in, in, in the U S despite the fact that again, we're going into a once in an ever recession, the stock market is still like basically rallying. Um, even though, even though, um, none of, because, well, it's rallying largely because most of the companies know that most of their costs are being backstopped by the government. So when we said line go stop at the beginning of season three, this is kind of what we're talking about. Yeah, the line is still going from any kind of like observable reality, which is why these guys presumably thought, "Oh, you can just invent the value because this thing doesn't go to us thing anymore." Yeah, I mean that's not wrong, um, right? It's that's not uh, that's that's not incorrect, you know. Um, and and so like. I, I don't. I. I. I think about this in terms of the stock market basically existing, and you can see this with the fact that Wirecard, like, when, like Bear Bear Stearns was trading at like you know nothing. Banks unwound when for for things like this mm. in uh, two thousand eight, and you know Wirecard's still got a share price. You can still buy and sell Wirecard for twenty four euros a share, and people are still. And if if it is priced like that, it means people are buying it at that. Um, oh, this seems fine. I mean. It, 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 it's not at all a symptom of like institutional rot. Um, yeah, not at all. Why would that be a problem? <laughs> Absolutely. That that's well, just it, called entrepreneurship. It, it means the stock market is essentially a confidence game, where we, I think, a lot. Yeah, but now, now more so than ever. Like yeah. it, it, it's not that it's a, a newly confidence game. It's that it's now a confidence game where like. It, like the Eiffel Tower that you're trying to sell now has a big sign on it that says, "Hey, this guy doesn't own this," and you're just proceeding anyway. <laughs> so here's the other thing, right? You know, I, I talk I talk sometimes about the the rot of our our institutions. I talk about that a lot. We talked about it in the bonus episode with Patrick Wyman about how these things used to serve a function and also be evil. You know, like um, the stock market. Is like if you're going to have a system with a market economy that is going to be that is going to do be not a do that. System, yeah, don't do that for for one. But if you're going to have that, it's important to be able to for that to function to be able to issue issue equity in order to fund um, undertakings. You know that that is one major way that you can do that. And mm. it seems to me that like the in especially in the last ten years and especially in the last two, um, the performance of the stock market has largely been about. Um, I mean, again, it's always been about increasing the wealth of the richest people. It's just in this case, it doesn't even have its slightly beneficial within the context of a bad system, et cetera, et cetera, intended effect of being able to finance new projects because no new projects are happening. It's now just the wealthy getting richer by agreement and confidence that the government will backstop any losses. Well, yeah, I yeah, mean, that just that's, serves that's, to create that's... transactions, right? Like hmm. to create a degree yeah. of randomness against which you can bet so that people can make money. That's basically all it's doing. Yeah. yeah, and that's that's true of like pretty much all institutions right now. Like it, it's just like fully mask off because nobody's nobody's bothering with the kind of like legitimizing functions anymore. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so I just want to find out what the valuation of Wirecard is uh, or what it was 12 months ago because that's important. Um, valuation. So yeah, it was valued at about $17.5 billion. And uh, that was in February 2009. And the thing to note is that a bunch of German banks, a bunch of European banks and asset managers, in fact, several hedge funds are invested the, in the maximum amount they can be in Wirecard. Hmm. And you know, Wirecard failing, which it seems to be going to do that, by the way, because its bond, its rating was went from AAA, safe as houses, to junk, basically, in a very short period of time. Hmm. Again, means- almost like those ratings don't relate to anything, if your AAA <laughs> bond can just, like, tank overnight. And so all yeah. of the, so a lot of the uh, investments in Wirecard, whether that's in debt or equity, that are being held by banks as um, assets on their balance sheets, with their, which they're, you know, in many ways required to do, all of a sudden that vanishes. Hmm. And so, again, is Wirecard enough by itself to cause a systemic market collapse? No, it's not. Just like Greensill isn't enough by itself in terms of like the, um, even the entire uh, securitized finance market globally, not enough to cause a global financial crisis by itself. My concern, especially you can see this in the fact that the U.S. has started buying um, corporate bonds, which is basically doing QE directly to companies. So the U.S. is doing it a bit differently than the U.K. The U.K., we kind of have this uh, intermediary, Lex Greensill. The U.S. is just doing it directly. But all companies are basically banks now, um, which is great. And... um, so I'm really enjoying I, imagining some like uh, German ratings agency guy like backpedaling on how they gave it a triple A rating, being like nine, nine, all three of these A's. They stood for Achtung, this company is <laughs> scheiße. <laughs> what I see in, is that there is going to be that the the current bubble, the current the current bubble, the thing that's going to cause this this next recession is going to be, I think, uh, unsustainable and massively overvalued corporate debt that's created by the zero interest rate problem. Hmm. Because lots of weird companies are doing lots of things. They're borrowing and failing. Um, they are, there is widespread either legal or you know, illegal fraud. And, I, I am cons- and the fact is, like we talked about in the Green Sale episode, none of this is regulated because the system of prudential regulation we have only fixes the last problem. So I, I, it is my opinion that you can understand quite a bit about the recession you're going to be in by the major global scale fraud that precedes it. So before the um, uh, recession around um, the millennium, you had the Enron failure uh, that was about sort of, you know, like self-dealing through stock. Before the, around the great financial crisis in 2008, you had your Bernie Madoff, which was essentially infinite confidence in the financial system to be able to grow infinitely. Because by the way, the frauds always work when there's growth. It's that when the music stops and everyone has to sit down, that the frauds stop working. And so, and then you have Wirecard, which has been dogged by this for the last couple of years, but now is blowing up now. Um, it's that when these bills start coming due, as these investigations get more intense, uh, and uh, it is my opinion that the that Wirecard is telling us a lot about the nature of the crisis to come, which is going to be related to this wild west of private sector fintechs and so on that have had zero oversight and, in fact, have been encouraged to do all the fucked up shit that they're doing. Hmm. Absolutely. But, like... Cool. Yeah. This is, this is like, in our extended metaphor of us having, like, fallen off the cliff of capital, this is like us having identified some more bombs in our pockets that are just, like, cartoonishly lit. 
And it's also Milk funny used. how it's just like the same thing over and over again. Like, you know, do you remember when Goldman Sachs was taking, you know, really shit mortgage backed CDOs that they knew were shit and selling them to their own clients to like avoid them being on their balance sheet? Pepperidge Farm remembers. <laughs> Um, and also, Alice, I slightly disagree with you in terms of the extended metaphor there. I hmm. think what happened is that we can now see the taxi we're going to land on. So we can identify <laughs> the car. Yeah, we, 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 we land. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're a dirty bastard for a German wine oh. processing firm, aren't you? Sie sind ein cheeky bastard for ein. <laughs> No, I just, I, I'm, I'm struck by the idea of us crashing through the roof of a taxi, and it turns out to be the taxi from the end of the Long Good Friday. <laughs> the fake taxi from the end of the Long Good Friday. Yeah, that's that's that was a movie about fake taxi. Yeah, that's right. Oh, you're a cheeky bastard from Monopolis. Um, what? So- well, it's a, Bob Hoskins <laughs> being played here by a pirate. <laughs> <laughs> the, the Riley accent enigma machine strikes again. We just need to yeah. find a totally unrelated person and say, like, do an impression of Sean Bean, and it will come out as a perfect Bob Hoskins. Here's the thing, you know what? We, hmm. we said earlier that the stock market, at this point, like, its, it's function as a capital raising mechanism largely vanished after the Facebook IPO. Um, I think you could just bet on the randomness of my Enigma accent machine, and it would be about as related to the performance of the underlying economy. Well, that's that's our plan. That's our hot stock tip. <laughs> don't, don't blame me. I had all my money invested in George Lazenby. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, a little more about Wirecard, then I want to move on. Uh, so the way the actual uh, fraud allegedly worked, according to the FT, is that they would look at uh, they have third parties so in Dublin, um, Dubai, and Singapore, who would act as introducers for their issuing and acquiring network, like I explained earlier. And um, the FT reported that three such partners were at times responsible for half the group's sales and most of its profits. Uh, Wirecard, of course, dismissed these allegations before uh, Dr. Marcus Brown retired to go work on that game farm up in North England. Um, <laughs> Uh, for yeah, I mean, this reasons. is this is this is cool, right? Like, this is not at all indicative of the fact that like a crucial part of your payment infrastructure, and like as such, a crucial part of your economy, which is like mostly treat based and mostly revolves around people getting packages of sex dildos shipped to them, is just not profitable on its own. No. But you can't have the state do that. That would be insane. That would be ridiculous. And so you end up with these like five-person club promoter-ass firms in Dubai that, like, are like, yeah, we made like a, I don't know, a, a billion dollars last year. Is that you believe yeah. that? Oh, oh that you want one? you want it to be like the Soviet Union? You want everyone to receive one grey sex dildo <laughs> of exactly the same size that comes in plain brown packaging with a bloody Charles. Charles Marx on it. That's his name, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. um, so Al Alam was the third party acquirer at the center of the scandal in Dubai. They had like five employees and no website, but they had like 58% of this gigantic global payments just titans yeah, this is, at one point. That's, that's just a club promoter, right? Yeah. That's that's all it is. It's like, yeah, no, it's, it, Al Alam is telling you about how good the VIP room is. Yeah. And it's just like, yeah, I make a million dollars a year, actually. Yeah, I, I, yeah, it's, I'm, I'm be- getting this company bottle service. Yeah, so out the, of standard, 34- the standard of the birds in our balance sheet is outrageous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Gotta out, be one of, of the th- best payment processing companies in the southeast. 
So out of the 34 client names listed on Alalam's documents, eight had ceased trading at the time the business was attributed to them. And a further 15 then told the FT they've never heard of or worked with Alalam. Oh, no. That's always That's a good not song. so good. Yeah. Toby yeah. Young of companies. <laughs> See? See, Daisy. Uh, and also, when this, cause when this was being reported on, um, they, the FT was alleged to be like in cahoots with the short sellers. And so Wirecard like hired a former Libyan intelligence a former Libyan intelligence chief who's one of their shareholders uh, who then funded a surveillance operation in London. Do you think you got a bargain on like a Libyan intelligence guy after they took that L in Libya? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I mean, their stock must be trading pretty low. (laughs) Right, like genuinely, right, if they had got like Harvey Weinstein's firm of like ex Mossad guys, if they had paid a little bit more for that premium, we probably would not be talking about them because we'd all be like floating face down in several ditches right now. Or again, this just never the story never would have come out, and we'd be talking about Brex, a car, a credit card company for startups that I'm going to talk about in the next bonus episode. Hmm, cool. Um, so basically, what happened yeah, is that this Libyan guy then retained the services of two security companies, Sloan Risk Group in London an APG protection, who then oversaw an operation codenamed Palladium Phase 2. (laughs) (laughs) Again, club, dumb club promoter shit. Palladium Phase 2 is a club in Rygate. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) Palladium Phase 2 also sounds a bit like something you would poison a Russian dissident with, which I imagine is more their their game. Um, and so before we move on, I want to talk about the SoftBank angle a bit, which is that uh, SoftBank employees and one outside investor bought 900 million euros worth of what's called convertible bonds, which is basically a bond with an option to convert it into a certain set amount of stock. Yeah, that's Usually, cool. You can put the top down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. A, a cabriolet bond. Um, and uh, this was in order for them to have a strategic partnership where SoftBank thought that they could like get in and buy this company at a bargain which seems to just be a big part of their we-only-make-the-wrong-decision-ever business strategy. <laughs> um, and, so, uh, and so, yeah, the, the idea was that they were going to have a strategic partnership where they could incorporate lots of Wirecard stuff into different um, SoftBank products, but also use Wirecard's network to engage in digital lending and turn themselves into a fintech, which means a bank that's not regulated. So we kind of can, awesome. can suss out a little bit of what SoftBank wants to do there. Yeah, I mean, this is like everything now becomes an unregulated bank, uh, and also is a scam. Yeah, absolutely, and it's all just different kinds of club promoters and courtiers, and just all people sort of handshaking. Oh, we'll and trying get to, to the courtiers. Oh yeah, I'm doing Ooh, a yeah. I'm doing a smooth transition here. Yeah, same. <laughs> Yay. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, that's um that's Wirecard. I think it's very interesting. More to learn about it. My main gap in my knowledge is I don't yet know what the rationale was in particular, like what they were trying to do, whether it was individual avarice or prop up the company or whatever, but I'd be interested to find out more as it develops. Hmm. Uh, so let's move on, uh, because I want to talk about a new kind of guy. Yeah, we found a new guy. Oh, yeah. This guy, I'm so excited, because I've, I've had this oh. guy in my mind for a while. Hmm. Uh, I've been trying yeah, like, to... If you're familiar with the bridge-end secret service jokes that we've been yeah. telling, uh, it's very... Th- this is the kind of guy... And like, If nothing else, Trash Future exists to categorize and taxonomize kinds of guy that we think are funny, and this 100%. is... 100%. Welcome to the guy zone. Yeah, and this, this guy, the name, 
The name of this guy is Tory Sex Party Guy. Yeah. Uh, oh, this yeah. is the type, this is the guy who watches Eyes Wide Shut and is like, cool. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Now let's do that, but on a way lower budget. <laughs> let's do that, but involving a number of single beds that have been crudely pushed together in what looks like your nan's room. Can, can we do this, but by renting everything? Yeah. Yeah. Just like uh, painting Tommy Lee Jones entirely gold, but like on a budget. And now waiting for Milo to do the uh, what if gold member painted him entirely black because he's Dutch and the Dutch love to do blackface joke. <laughs> I love Polish. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> he, predicted, uh, no. he predicted you would say that verbatim when we were doing the notes. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, no, so Tory sex party guy. Uh, this is all arose from reading and learning about Dougie Smith, who is the husband of Munira Mirza. Um, bit of a backgrounder, if you don't know, Munira Mirza is a longtime advisor of Boris Johnson, who is one of the spiked people. Yeah, boring. Who care? Who care? Don't care. Not interested in her. Interested in her Tory sex party guy. Yeah, I'm going to do just a little bit of background on this so they know why we're talking about it, especially the American listeners. Nah. Um Basically, she's been, uh, as a result of the Black Lives Matter protesters, Boris Johnson was like, we're going to set up a review into structural racism and institutional racism. And he was like, I'm going to choose this person to do it, even though she doesn't believe in institutional racism. Anyway, that's boring. Um, the lo- columnists are writing about that. I'm interested in Dougie Smith, her husband, the Tory sex party guy. Yeah, tell exactly. us about these sex parties. <laughs> the mm. sex farm for sex hookers. Uh, so, <laughs> um, basically... The Tory sex party guy. Uh, he is a long, again, long-time conservative grandee. He's been involved in First the party since, since the um, <laughs> dear penthouse. I never thought this would happen to me. He's been involved <laughs> in the in the party since about the turn of the century. In 1997, he was actually in the referendum party, which we talked about on our history of sort of weird chance or euroscepticism in the UK with our episode with QAnon Anonymous. So do check that out. Not to be confused um, with the wooferendum party, which is much less horny. <laughs> <laughs> so uh he also so he was the um the uh, uh uh he was in charge of conservatives for change which was like one of these modernizing think tanks but also he conservatives ran conservatives for change just imagine yeah, like coming up with that as a conservatives name. yeah like in canada yeah. so basically he is um he's a, the tory sex party guy um and he ran something called fever parties until 2003 Mm. Oh, that's that red. thing where you all get coronavirus. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's, uh, that's, that's like boomers in the villages being like, well, I'd better do my part and get coronavirus so that we can reopen the economy and I can go get a haircut is completely bald. Yeah, I, 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 lo- yeah. I love to do mask for mask of the Red Death. Yeah, <laughs> like on purpose. Uh, so the mask fever party. Mask of the party, Red Shack. Yeah, it, it's, it shut down in 2003, um, but... Uh, this was sort of Another controversial. Another of the Iraq War. <laughs> mm. uh, yeah, it was shut, shut down in 2003 when Hans Blix couldn't find anyone who could make him horny. Uh, mm. So this the site read. This was reported by the Mirror, closer to the time. In our spare time, we go to great lengths to hold sensational parties that can equal what New York and Paris, with their much more liberal laws, have to um, offer young have to offer young swingers. Um. <laughs> If you are a young, attractive, and sophisticated couple, and you are seeking the thrill of sexual recreation among your peer group, then you've come to the right How place. How many times have we heard the word young in this paragraph? Two Sex or three. Creation. <laughs> um, you can come uh, down yeah. to our clubhouse, which looks like a fancy mosque. 
so, among your peer group, and you come to the right place. You and your partner can find everything you desire on special Saturday nights with Fever. Oh. Um, yeah. So his whole thing basically was he would they would like it's like uh, killing kittens, but much sleazier. And uh, killing kittens, by the way, run by someone who's like connected to the royal family uh, and who've had who's had like Eamon Holmes. Uh, if you remember who that guy is, uh, at one of their over seventies sex parties. Oh, I don't I, like the thought of that at all. I don't think the royal family have ever been connected to sex weirdoism. I was going to say, at that point, over 70s, just call it a lemon party. Everyone knows what that is. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the personal history uh, of Dougie Smith, he no longer runs Fever, but this is sort of something that he's, that he's always been quite sort of open about, is mm. that he says, I've never made a secret about the fact that I run both Conservatives for Change and Fever. The two things don't overlap, and therefore it doesn't pose a problem. Fortunately, we're living in the 21st century, and even naturally censorious people tend to feel slightly self-conscious about wagging their fingers at what consenting adults do behind closed doors. I like the idea that, like, his his first line of defense is like, "There's no conflict of interest between my think tank and my sex party." Sorry, my party just my party repealed a law that would have prevented quite a bit of what goes on here. Like. Four years ago. Yeah. Listen, There's no conflict I, of interest. When I go to the sex party, I hang up my thinking cap at the door as I put on my ball weights. <laughs> <laughs> um, and here's the thing, right? No, it's I don't I, I don't think it's wrong to I mean I personally think it's wrong to run a sex party because I'm anti-horny. Yeah, but, and also because this is like dangerously normcore. Like the music at these things has not got to be good. Just Darude Sandstorm 24 hour loop. Oh, um, yeah, absolutely. Jaquan's Tipsy has been played at one of their events. Uh, so, but, so that, that's true. You know, if you want to have a sex party, go ahead and have a sex party. If you want to have a uh, set up like sex, sex party, party, you can keep it. If you want to <laughs> have a sex, if you want to have, uh, do sex parties and work in politics, fine. Don't care. But what I think is more interesting is less like, you know, the, shock that most of the media is um sort of indulging in about the uh the, the revelation of this this sex party guy coming back into the public eye and more that i think this tells us quite a bit about what the conservative party is and who it's for wish you would come back into the public's mouth first or something jesus oh <laughs> Ooh. i'm just saying <laughs> so, like, you know where your eye gets like stuck open as uh, fucked vibes so this is the uh, personal history of Dougie Smith. This is all from uh, various press sources, including the Mirror. So in the early 80s, he worked for the Adam Smith Institute, our friends on Tufton Street, mm. while pursuing a career in the Federation of Conservative Students as a prominent member of its right-wing libertarian faction, becoming elected in 85 as the FCS vice chairman. However, it later transpired that his claim to be a student at Napier College was erroneous, and his election was declared null and void he by the office. He was stealing student valor? I love that. Nice. I love That's that kind so of thing. funny. Playing playing student politics on easy mode, just with the cheats on by not being a student. Well, it's also yeah. it's really funny that he's like he was like, oh yeah, I've been in conservative politics though for for a while. It's like no, you were in the Reform Party in nineteen the referendum party rather in nineteen ninety seven. You weren't a student when you were trying to be in the, the the Federation of Conservative Students. You got thrown out of Strathclyde University after failing your exams. No, and once then, you uh, get thrown out of a Scottish university after failing your exams, you start a podcast. That's the career trajectory. <laughs> yeah, that's what um, you do. And then moved into conservative politics around 2003, um, into like the actual upper echelons of the party. And I think what this tells us, right, Alice, now you, you, Alice, you and I were talking about this, is mm. that the guy he reminded me of the most is Ben Elliott, um, the oh, minor, yeah. 
So the, he's the minor royal and um, who started quintessentially the elite concierge service that has some kind of, you know, um, yeah, that, that was that was the one that was like, we'll get you anything you want in a luxury sense. Anything. Uh, yeah. Like that was the vibe. It, it was like, if you want to go to Lex Greensill's Jurassic Park and like uh, hunt twinks from che- from Chester with a with like a sniper rifle. We can arrange that for you. That was quintessentially. That was their are vibe. You, are you looking for something ripe and legal? <laughs> no. Quintessentially, you may remember um, they were in the middle of building the world's biggest yacht for a bunch of billionaires to live on full time. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. How yacht. can I forget? Yeah. <laughs> you know the the the. The the gigantic billionaire only yacht that they can live on full time. Concierge service slash shipbuilder slash club promoter. Yeah, no, makes total sense. Uh, You know, spending most of your time in waters that might be described as international (laughs) and international style waters. (laughs) <laughs> it's so very funny thinking. to me to imagine just like all the billionaires on the boat like living in this all like quasi billionaire society but they're all billionaires so the fact that they're a billionaire isn't interesting at all um especially when all the male billionaires are just stuck there with all the female billionaires who are not the kind of women that male bill- i reckon this would be a great show i think we should commission it Lufa, <laughs> so, Island. i think this is just a goddard movie <laughs> so basically what, what what I was thinking, right, and this is Alice, you 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 and I were talking about this, is that we have to learn that like the Conservative Party around sort of 2000, 2003-ish, after basically like breaking with John Major. Yeah, basically what became- w- what happened is, and like we we did not see it because we weren't doing a podcast, we weren't paying attention to these things, but a very similar phenomenon to the line going stop happened to politics, where politics stopped being uh, like anything that bore any relation outside the most like venal levels to like actual events, and it started being just a line that goes up and down for its own sake. It's just that the line was polling data. Yeah, and, and what what we were talking about is that this is basically the Conservative Party. It was never the party of Dominic Cummings. It was always the party of Dougie Smith and Ben Elliott, and these just courtiers. Yeah, absolutely. They, they to- just having fun with your friends and being important. It's they're a having ball fun with, it's, it's, they're, having, they're having fun with the toy steering wheel. Well, like, you know, again, <laughs> Spike, well, spiked writes their cultural policy and, uh, you know, Tufton Street writes their economic policy. These people don't have to be capable or intelligent or interesting. They just have to be big enough chancers that they can, you know, wangle their way, maneuver no. their way in, it's, and then keep maneuvering. Wangle so was a very can... good choice of work. <laughs> no, it's, so it's, can... it's a safe space for people named Dougie to never be made fun of for being called Dougie. Uh, and like yeah. this, this is all part of the same thing. That's how you get Boris Johnson as prime minister. It's how you get Matt Hancock as health secretary. Is that like none of these levers go to anything anymore? Um, yeah. They're just like a, a, a sort of a, a conduit for think tanks and like various like culture war headbangers. And mm. all of the stuff that the actual party does is just sort of useless and just designed to like amuse each other. Mm. Well, it's it's design. It's it's basically an ex- the most that they actually do is PR. Mm-hmm. In terms of them actually needing to be able to do something, the vast majority of what they do is PR to try to you know spin Tufton Street's policies to make it look good, or you know try to make people feel as though they're you know, threatened by Ash Sarkar or whatever. 
And, you know, most of the people who are in the top echelons of the party are essentially just just courtiers who make it one another feel good and maybe who, you know, betray and backstab one another and stuff. And yeah, making the real each power other feel centers, pretty good, if you know what I mean. The, the <laughs> real power centers are just fucking miles away from yeah. anything to do with them. From everyone. Like, the, the thing that I put down in this, and I mooted this as an episode title, was Jeff Bezos' Dr. Manhattan. Right, like th this guy has existed throughout history. The Borgias had this guy, you know, uh, the the guy who does the cool sex parties and is not very interesting in and of itself. The guy who like supplies you with your fancy golden shoes. That's that's been an essential function to power for so long. But now the places where power actually is, there's a reason why they all seem so alien to us. Like why Jeff Bezos or Mark Zuckerberg or Bill Gates seem so weird. It's because they don't need anything like this. They're, 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 they're so... not sucking and fucking. And that's why exactly. no one then, No, they're so isolated from everything that like the only thing that Jeff Bezos can decide to do with his money is go to space because he doesn't want to go to a sex party. He doesn't care yeah. about this stuff, and all of these guys are just like left without that that power center, and so they're coalescing around this, just this vacuum of nothingness. Jeff Bezos wants to fuck the face of God, and until he's yes. done that, he won't be happy. Exactly. <laughs> Jeff just, Bezos is looking at a watch. Jeff Bezos is in Vietnam, defeating the Viet Cong single-handedly. Yeah. Jeff the Bezos Viet is eight feet tall, blue, head to toe, and is like carving a hydrogen atom on his head. The ultimate destiny of mankind is Richard Branson jizzing all over that obelisk from 2001 A Space Odyssey. <laughs> <laughs> like the, ult, right, the thing is, you know, if Jeff Bezos, if the thing that the powerful actually want is to fly to space to fuck God, mm -hmm. um, there's not much. Is that God underage? <laughs> well, that, that can't be provided for them by the courtier set. No. There's no, they can't do that. They can just sort of amuse one another. Well, the, accepting the fact that they are dumb pipes through which other ideas flow that they just have to not get in the way of. Like, also, I, I one thing you can use to kind of to prove this a little bit about like uh, how distant power is is that previously the way you determined where a hierarchy was was like friends and stuff. Like, oh, the king is wearing his like waistcoat button unbuttoned. We should all do that. Or the king is wearing a powdered wig. We should all do that. Nobody mm. is waxing their skull to look like Jeff Bezos. Yeah. Right? The, queen, the, the king is wearing a uh, an eye mask and has his dick out. So Yeah, exactly. But like <laughs> it, like people might like Reddit guys might aspire to like Elon Musk or whatever, but he's small time compared to like the people who matter and nobody wants to be like them. Anyway, I so I just I think it's we can now introduce uh, into the canon of guys mm. uh, the Tory sex party guy as the courtier, mm. the courtier without the king, uh, the the Byzantine administrator who administrates for the sake of administering and just really likes that he's got a like a slave he can put his feet on. Yeah, absolutely. That the, the someone who is in a power structure that isn't doing anything but loves being in that power structure and enjoying the fruits of being in like the upper middle. Well, like th this is, this is what's so embarrassing, right? Is that like th these people are inadvertently who we're burning everything down for us to keep their little sort of ball pit safe. <laughs> cool. Mm. <laughs> awesome. I, I, I like that. Um, much like, like the creep in uh, Starcraft in Starcraft, there's this, a ball pit is beginning to engulf all of Europe. <laughs> um, One of the only you know, ball, ball pits pit. where you bring your own balls. 
<laughs> a, a ball pit is haunting Europe. The ball pit oh, of fuck. special treat boys. Yeah. Um, uh, so with having having now um, um, th- like thrown this guy up into the into the stars uh, to make him a constellation, uh, I'd like to end on a very fun little article that I have been mulling over and obsessing about mm. for a stint. Yes, reading series. We love to we mull. Haven't a, we haven't done one of these in a while. Yeah, I, I'm excited to see what kind of like dead bird you bring us. <laughs> call, me, call me call me because this MF Mullen. Um, so uh, this is by BBC political editor Laura Koonsberg friend of the show and it's entitled Food Vouchers Matter so I guess that's a play on the marches I suppose or maybe just incredibly tone deaf all food vouchers mm. matter (laughs) yeah so I'm I'm, I'm voting for incredibly tone deaf but you know let's see Uh, so she begins the article oh god I'm excited about this most of us change our minds all the time (laughs) This is Webster's Divine's politics as. (laughs) (laughs) This is the most like Laura Koonsberg Tory press secretary way of starting a column. It's like Boris Johnson has been arrested today for murder after beating a small child to death, and Laura Koonsberg writes a column that's like, well, we all get angry sometimes, don't we? (laughs) So, uh, hate a child. We've little, all little bit of we've back- all paid a billionaire to hunt a child. <laughs> uh, we've all owned a tranquilizer rifle, haven't we? Yeah. <laughs> little, little little bit of background here. Um, so uh, essentially, the um, there has been this um, campaign um, by you know, several public figures, most notably a footballer Marcus Rashford. Although, admittedly, it was a Labour campaign as well. But like Marcus Rashford was the one who you know did all the actually stuff. advocated for it, unlike pretty much any Labour figure. Yeah. So, you know, uh, well, um, uh, 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 Rebecca Long-Bailey did, to be fair. Anyway, um, so what happened was there was this free school vouchers, pro- free school meal vouchers program that kids get um, over, over the year that then stops in the summer. But because there's like no school and no jobs, they were like, maybe we should just keep this program going over the summer because it's a way to get money to people we know needs it. And we know that it's like something that's going to keep kids eating. Are there um, no workhouses? Uh, that well, that was the to- that was the Tory line until Boris Johnson was forced into a U-turn by this on the policy, which was to cancel it by Marcus Rashford, largely. Mm. So this is Laura Koonsberg writing about Boris Johnson doing a huge screeching U-turn on the policy of free school meals over the summer. Yeah. So I'm going to start also that again. He was like, "I didn't do a U-turn. I was, I was always <laughs> going to do this." So I'm going to start this again. Keep that in mind. Laura Koonsberg again writes this article about the government being forced to completely change a policy by saying. Most of us change our minds all the time. Mm. <laughs> so I guess this wasn't special, I suppose. Never, anyway, never mind. Yeah, I thought I was going to wear red to the fever party, but then in the end I wore black. Uh, Milo, that sort of prefigures uh, more or less the level oh, of analysis. No. Actually. no, not literally, but it does prefigure the level of analysis that comes next. Maybe, t- maybe this morning you had planned to go for a run, and actually when push came to shove, another ten minutes in bed seemed like a better idea. Oh, that's relatable. I love maybe, to be maybe this to. morning. Maybe this morning you were planning on, you know, starving some vulnerable children. But when Bush came to shove, <laughs> you decided that not being lynched by the people of Britain was better. I mean, I, I, yeah. I, think, I think about one of Milo's turns of phrase that when you're from such a rarefied extractionist, Laura Koonsberg, and you're growing up eating swans or whatever the fuck they do, that <laughs> you could genuinely envision like, oh, maybe you thought of going for a run, but instead you paid someone to go on a run for you. And that would be mm-hmm. relatable in whatever fucking, <laughs> you know, lightning silhouetted castle she grew up in. Yeah, it's comic timing. Yeah. 
Yeah, there it is. Uh, that's the that's what you pay us for. That's right. Yeah, mm. uh, that is right. So you, you do not have to pay us to hear this. Yeah. So basically, you just keep that in mind as well. Like, that's her level of analysis here. Is you know, Boris Johnson again is like making a systemically has been forced into a systemically important change in policy, um, and she's saying, well, this is a lot like if you choose to sleep in. Hmm. Yeah, same, it's the same thing, in my opinion. Yeah, um, you know, politics and personal decision making, no, no clear blue water between them. Well, that's that's um, why we have to budget like a household, right? Is because politicians they're just like us. Yeah, because mm. Laura Koonsberg can't count above four, I guess. Mm. As one, two, three, many. Sometimes uh, so, you count above four, and sometimes you pay someone to count above four. So mm. maybe when you grew up, you wanted to be an astronaut. <laughs> Um. Hmm. Okay. Uh-huh, sure. <laughs> yeah. But then you cool. starve to death. <laughs> as is right. But then discovered that you weren't that good at physics and developed vertigo in, as an adult. In any case, what the fuck are you talking about? This is this is just inane shares. Uh, how is this yeah. like with Boris? Jo- how is this like being forced to do a U-turn on policy yeah, you, because of politics? You know when you have food, right? Uh, and uh-huh, and sometimes you. you you wouldn't have food. That's a lot like if you wanted to be an astronaut. Yeah, yeah. Um, this is like this is like POV, the coked up guy at the sex party who can't get it up, is rambling to you about why that is. Yeah. Just like <laughs> crying about not being an astronaut. You you thought you thought I was going to get it up. I thought I was going to be an astronaut. You know, yeah. we all we all face disappointments. Maybe she goes on. You spent years doing one job, but then decided over time that it wasn't for you. Yeah, may, maybe you spent years at the BBC and then decided you'd much rather be at Conservative Party headquarters. <laughs> but this mm. is normal life. <laughs> <laughs> God, what mm. the fuck is what is this? Is this from a Danny Boyle movie? What the fuck? <laughs> All right, boys, normal life. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, is- you can't have slumdog millionaires until you create some slumdogs. This is normal life and perfectly rational behavior. One of the most well-known 20th century economists, John Maynard Keynes, summed up. Was In the game of politics, <laughs> there's one quarterback. <laughs> 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 John Maynard Keynes, the inventor of the wine gum. <laughs> <laughs> when, when the facts change, I change my mind. She's basically playing. It sounds like she's stalling on her own headline BBC political article, for which the is she's the head politics editor. You know, the, the, these free school meals are quite similar to the ones they serve at Krusty Burger. Yeah. This is an extremely like screw Flanders ass piece of writing. Like she's really <laughs> she is padding the word count. Like well, it's it's as though she's been like surprised and just started dictating this while trying to figure out what she was going to say. Because again, don't forget, she could have said that this was going to be a disastrous policy and through like sheer public campaign against it that it was transformed. And then she's like Everyone changes their mind sometimes. It's like when asked to when when presented with a situation where a normal person would be unable to write about this without saying the Tories were about to do something wrong and then were forced to not to do it by politics. She basically filibustered her own argument. That's why she makes the big bucks. Who else do you know that can do this? Um, that is true. Although for the pedants among you, as with so many of the most quoted statements, it may have originally been said by someone else. Cool. Cool. Okay. Along with, <laughs> that's, the thing about, that's the thing about quotes, is they were all said by somebody, and sometimes you don't know by who. 
This is this is this is literally the Wayne Gretzky, Michael Scott of this yeah. article. Yeah. This is she has she has spent what like now um well, like a hundred words of her like and like front page political journalism article mm-hmm. just being like mm, maybe maybe Keane said this maybe he didn't. Impossible um, to say. Anyway, what well, were we talking about? Neutrality achieved. <laughs> anyway, what were we talking about? Do you sell toast? Yeah. As, <laughs> uh, as Abraham um, Lincoln once said, don't believe everything you read on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> it may have actually been said by someone else, a different august economist called Paul Samuelson. <laughs> it okay. might have been a slightly different phrase. Quote, when my information changes, I alter my conclusions. This is a whole paragraph at this point. This a is whole a whole paragraph you know what this of reminds nothing. Me of? You know what this reminds me of the, from from previous reading series? It reminds me of Raphael Bear's shoes yeah, column. This is, you know what they say? Okay, Raphael Bear's shoes column was like, this is this is someone who has a beautiful mind. Mm. I think this column is like Laura Koonsberg is RoboCop and she's trying to like <laughs> you have ten she's seconds to comply. No, no, she she can't like RoboCop. She can't like can't target. The um the people who the, the the people in charge of the company she she physically can't do it. This is her <laughs> shorting out. <laughs> yes. Why then do politicians try and avoid a change of heart? It's not just to escape occasional headlines about a screaming U-turn, although that is part of the equation. The headlines which I am currently like tensing every muscle in my body not to write. (laughs) It's about judgment and authority too. (laughs) On an individual issue, doing the right thing because of a change of heart is better than pursuing a policy that will cause harm. Fantastic analysis, thanks Laura. The the policy that will cause harm- There was no change of heart. (laughs) Yeah, also, the policy that will cause harm- uh, but. But weren't they intending to pursue that policy? That will cause harm? Don't don't worry about it. Uh, Mm. Beyond the subjective nature of the quote-unquote right thing, there are also moments when the political momentum is pulling so The subjective nature of the rightness of feeding children. Yeah, of course. And the political momentum is pulling so strongly in one direction, it becomes inevitable. Um, Again, no no question... The political momentum. (laughs) (laughs) Just just no... This is why Corbyn lost. Yes, this mm. is because he couldn't. He couldn't appeal to the people, the trained seals who read this and are like, "Good analysis." Momentum style thugs. Um, although ministers have for many days defended the decision not to pay for free school meals in England over the summer, highlighting other chunks of money given to councils to help money given to councils that have often had all mm. of their funding cut by about sixty percent. Mm, other chunks of money, nice and specific. Yeah, uh, Nate, can you please uh, ready a dog whistle here? <laughs> the involvement of a yeah, my dog whistle drop. Yeah. The involvement of a young, well-liked, articulate, and high-profile player like Marcus Rashford made that defense less sustainable by the hour. Hmm. Don't mm. no, don't don't like that. Oops. <laughs> Whoopsie Daisy. But that, that's um, that's not doing tropes though, because tropes yeah. is only when when the left yeah. does it. Uh, so the, the, also, like you know, I would I would I I think there are I I would um I would say you know. Someone in Laura Koonsberg's position probably should know. I don't think everyone should know this. Like, well, everyone should know this, but I, I would say if you're writing national news, yeah. you, should you should probably be aware of calling a black yeah. man articulate. Yeah, and that's a bit of a dog whistle, my friend. Um, again, like it's it's something that I wouldn't expect everyone to know. I think they ought to. Um, but if you're the national news editor at the UK uh, of the UK's BBC. You should probably know that. Hmm. In the UK, um, there's only one BBC, and it's called the BBC. <laughs> yeah, fuck, I, I fucked that up. I fucked that up. 
So Tory MPs started telling their party handlers, the whips, in the last 24 hours, they wouldn't vote for it. And some senior figures in the party had started to question what the merits were of continuing a fight that would have taken a relatively small government check to fix, with the downside of sticking to a plan of terrible optics. Not giving in made it look, one MP feared, like the Tories have a blind spot on poverty. Again, no. we would never <laughs> suggest that they actually have one, ever. Obviously, they can only do the right thing. It's just sometimes it turns out the right thing was something else. And if anything, we should thank them for eventually doing it. Yeah, it yeah, turns out that when they thought they were doing the when they were doing the wrong thing, they actually were only doing the wrong thing because they thought it was the right thing. So in a way, it was the right thing. <laughs> so like they like the Tories always intend to do the best thing for everyone, of course. And hmm. then I'm going to spend 400 words, like you know, saying, "Hmm, I wonder who saw, talked about opinions." I'm going to quote some of my favorite economists. Haha, <laughs> pedants among you will note this might have been someone else. A quote is when you say something someone else said. I <laughs> please. Please let me stop writing this. It hurts. 100% of the people who read Laura Koonsberg are pedants, to be fair. Like, can you imagine the sort of people who are like, oh, Laura Koonsberg's written an article. I must sit down to read that. Can you imagine how insufferable that person is? <laughs> so, um, another former minister said it was causing widespread concern that number 10 is bad political instincts. So not long after, he sat down to chat to my excellent colleague, Sally Nugent, for BBC Breakfast, and it was Marcus Rashford 1, Boris Johnson 0. Oh, that's a sports metaphor, because oh, he plays sports. sports. Yeah. yeah. In the, the game, game of, of politics, there's one scoreline, and it's Marcus Rashford 1, <laughs> Boris Johnson 0. Uh, <laughs> anyway. Stick to sports. <laughs> yeah, st stick to sports, Laura Gunsberg. <laughs> um, every now and then, it can be important for governments to show that they are listening. She has actually she has spun this to act, make it look as though the conservative party is extra sensitive to the needs of people. Well, she has a she has brains made of wet Victoria sponge is the thing, and I I'm so like mm. this is this is it's not even it, it doesn't even make me angry because it's just so like it, it's such a frippery right. Mm. Oh, it's I, it's to me it's just very funny. Yes, like, yes. I, She's at an Ed 209 who is, you can see the smoke coming out of the brain compartment. <laughs> um, every now and again, it can be important for governments to show they are listening. And it's pretty clear that the political froth over, quote, U-turns causes much less fuss among the political public. Political froth. But the reality, too, is that frequent changes of heart can be damaging over time. It's so in the a land of contrasts. Also, the end of the article is, hey, stop doing this or you might lose your credibility. I'm doing as much as I can to defend you now, but there's only so much I can do. Also, this is the same this is the same Laura Koonsberg who like doxed the father of a sick child for confronting the Prime Minister in hospital oh, one so time. She thought she was just giving out his uh table code at Weatherspoons. That was a mistake. <laughs> she this just wanted everyone to send him peas as a fun prank. Yeah. That that was that was Laura Koonsberg doing this is him here. And now we're with the actual Prime Minister, it's like, well, you know, sometimes sometimes we get a bit too heated in this game of politics. And maybe sometimes what we need is to have a think and to change our minds. Yeah. It's not fair to send the Prime Minister a hundred black puddings to his table. It's just it's not on. He's <laughs> got a lot on his plate. <laughs> Literally. Um, yeah, <laughs> each yeah we have to send those hundred black puddings to the Weatherspoons app to children around the country. So each time there is a reversal, you can hear a little bit of the government's credibility being chipped away. So again, the problem wasn't the policy. Mm. The problem wasn't what they wanted to do. The problem was that the way they did it 
might make people trust them less. Oh no. <laughs> I just so, I just love the idea of like the government's credibility is being chipped away, says local quarry worker. I think the thing about it for me that's always so just unbearable with Laura Koonsberg is that it's not that she sees her job as, you know, the 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 meme of the fucking soldier getting hit with all the goddamn knives and grenades and shit while the little child is sleeping in the bed, except the child is Boris Johnson. Like, we get that. That's table stakes. But it's the incredible kayfabe that every other establishment journalist in Britain seems to have about how nakedly obvious it is that she just carries water for this government. Mm. They're always like, oh, wow, what a brilliant political mind she has. What insightful commentary. And then you read it and it's like, it, it feels like the first draft of Barry Weiss's article about Australia. How like Australians mm-hmm. have fun and there's kangaroos. Like it's the most, I don't know, for lack of a better expression, simp take. And, mm. and yet it, no one, it feels like you're going completely insane because nobody will acknowledge it. Like, okay, her replies will acknowledge it, but none of the various other Eyes Wide Shut party attendees will ever acknowledge it. And that's, I think, one of the things that's so frustrating about it is that you just, we have been sold this idea that the UK is just unlike other countries in so many ways. And in this regard, we have a state broadcaster that's supposed to be more or less a neutral arbiter. And it's become more and more just like the respectable version of Guido Fox in the way that like the Wall Street Journal is respectable Fox News in America. And that that just you just reading her words like I'm just stewing with fucking contempt listening to it because it's just over and over again constantly getting lied to. And he's like, you know that bad thing? Well, bad things are actually good sometimes. And it's just like, at what point are people finally gonna be like, please, we we get it. You love Boris Johnson. Stop doing this. But they won't because I mean, obviously, like as each day goes by, they stack more and more. You know, eyes wide shut attendees into the like the senior management of the BBC. And I mean, I don't know, it's a big joke. Except there's always this veneer of it being completely neutral and professional. And so many people in the UK trust it as a neutral source. Yeah. And and again, the idea if you if you deign to criticize, it's like, oh, I guess you want Fox News then. It's like, no, I don't want either of these. We already have Fox News in this fucking country. It's called every single goddamn news channel. (laughs) (laughs) So I'll, I'll carry on with the article. Each time something else is unpicked, that loyal backbencher or minister loses a little of their own willingness to provide defense for the boss. And frequent, concession, and frequent no. concessions can give an impression to the wider public of a government that keeps simply getting things wrong. But Because when you put a cross in the box in the voting booth, you're putting your faith in your favorite or perhaps least worst option. Cool. <laughs> wow. Oh, for a minute there, I thought she was going for a, for a, for a yeah. metaphor from football, putting a cross into the box. No, no, she's being literal. Oh, no okay. metaphors here. Mm. Uh, yeah, I love that. Just being like, anyway, remember how voting works? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> how much well, more I, of this fucking column is there? I'll tell uh, you, in the game sentences. of voting, there's only one cross you get to put in one box, and it's the box of the person you're voting for. <laughs> and you're voting for them to be quarterback. Yeah. Uh, that's politics, baby. This is so mm. draining. Like, I, 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 I want to go to sleep now. Uh, politicians have to demonstrate to the public and their parties on a perpetual basis that they are heading in the right direction and taking the correct path. No, they don't. No, they don't, yeah. because they have you to do it for them. What is this, what is this article but a massive effort and obfuscation of being like, hmm, well, who can say what a policy is? Some What may be right for me and not be right for mm. some. Uh, you, know, you know, is it good? Is it bad? It's totally obfuscating the actual politics of it and just turning it into like, 
you know, a, a little whistling song about Boris Johnson waking up and deciding what to have for breakfast. What if those school lunches contained potassium benzoate, you know? <laughs> yeah. Last last sentence. Too many U-turns and governments can end up going round in circles instead. Wow. Laura Koonsberg. This, I guess two U-turns would be more of an oval, really, but yeah. I understand where she's <laughs> this, coming from. This felt like a, like a slow cabin depressurization. I could mm. feel my eyes swelling in my skull. Yeah, I yeah, I don't I don't feel good now yeah. because of this. Yeah, well we're all the Ed 209. We had to we had to being John Malkovich into like Laura Koonsberg's circuitry I'm, and I'm, try I'm, to understand. No, I'm feeling like the guy Robocop shot the arm off of Wait, I mean, you could be one of the, you could be one of the guys who shoots the dick off of because that would be better than gender reassignment surgery in the UK. <laughs> yeah, this is what I've got to do is I've got to like try to provoke RoboCop to perfectly shoot off my dick and oh, balls. Oh no, I've been shot in the melopinus. <laughs> <laughs> and we're bringing it back round, everybody. It's my speciality, if nothing oh. else. Oh my goodness! So hey, uh, we want to thank you for listening to yet another episode of this silly show. Um, we also want to remind you that, uh, you know, the, so the, that the bail funds are still out there and still need your support. So that link as always is in here. Uh, once you've done that, uh, you know, we'd love to have you on our Patreon. Uh, like I said, we unlocked that green sale episode, which you really should have listened to before continuing with this one, but there's lots mm -hmm. of other great stuff on there. We talked to Patrick Wyman again, um, and we are going to be watching the movie Logan's run this week. Mm. Uh, so do check that out. Also, we're, um, we're selling shirts. Buy, still selling shirts. Buy a shirt. We've still got quite a few shirts left. Would you Would you like yeah. a shirt? Send an email to the email address. Yeah. So once once we sell all of those, we can get a, a new third design. Um, mm. I'm beginning to think about what that's going to be, and we it's all a are big eye. Yeah, yeah we're all riding, all, all five of us are riding a giant eye and parking it outside of some like venture capital firm's building. Just like, hey, can we park our eye here? <laughs> it's yeah. like looking so, in through the blinds and stuff. Yeah. It's a t-shirt hey, that hey, just what... has that Laura Koonsberg article written on it in like increasingly small font, like an eye test. Like John Maynard Keynes defines politics as. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be cool. Uh, so yeah, do all that stuff. Um, also, you know what it is. Check out Hell of a Way to Die. Check out Well, There's Your Problem. Um, check out Milo's Russian podcast if you're a Russian yeah, speaker. Speak Russian. There are a few people who listen to both. Mm. It's and a uh, check, check out mm. and check out the Boney Island Whitefish also. Boney Island Whitefish. Oh, and 10,000 Posts, which is Hussein's oh, new yeah. spinoff. We're all, we're all basically in, in lockdown. We're all Hussain's doing new moved project. to Seattle. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, I, I've I've started a podcast where I'm watching every episode of the police procedural uh, drama Bones, but only season five of the police procedural drama Bones, which was on in about like 2008. Yeah, the one um, where they started to run out of ideas. Yeah, with uh, with Andrew from Bunta Vista, and it's a lot yeah. of fun. And Hussein is doing Ten Thousand Posts, which is about like the history of the internet through the posts that made our brains this way. Exactly. Yeah. It's pretty good. Oh, pretty and good. also, me and pretty Nate good. have a new series called Britonology, which should be the first episode, which should be coming out shortly. Is that on the mm. Patreon as well? It'll be on the Patreon, yeah. So if you are not yeah. a Patreon subscriber, you can basically sign up to hear me and Milo discuss deeply British things in which I react to the horrible fucking scenes he's put before me. He's basically Virgil making me navigate through concentric circles of hell in Britain. Oh, that's where he is. 
Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, so uh, yeah, I guess well, that's that's something we've all sort of. A lot of us have started little side projects and other fun stuff. So we're just putting those in the Patreon for you to enjoy if you're already a, already a subscriber. So there's there's a lot of fun stuff there. There's not just the second episode every week. Anyway, Go to the Patreon and sign up to the Melopinous tier for bonus. <laughs> <laughs> you can get sent. You can get sent a different picture of a Melopolis every week. Mm. That's some very like Rick and Morty yeah. shit. Oh, I've always wondered so, how Sophoc- Melopolis gets made. Sophocles is Melopolis Rex. Yeah, I've, yeah. I'm, I'm actually I, my favorite philosopher was a Melopolis of Helicarnassus. <laughs> well, bye, everybody. <laughs> I have to go translate a, a passage of Melopolis for my Latin class. <laughs> All right, all right. Our theme song is Here We Go by Ginseng. Get it on Spotify. Uh, get it, listen to it early, listen to it often, listen to it Melopinous. Mm. Later. Bye. Bye. Listen to it Melopinous? Yeah, you know. Bung a bob for Big Ben to bong and the bang 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 bang